everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and after taking a, a very lengthy break in the, the very busy month of November, I am excited to be back today, where we'll be digesting our very full Thanksgiving meal of movies, because I can tell you that was how my movie-watching habits in November went, where you, you don't eat very much, and then all of a sudden, bah, movies like crazy. And we'll be doing a short, rapid-fire series of reviews of the films that came out in November of 2021. I will be talking specifically about, of course, The Eternals, Tick, Tick, Boom, Spencer, House of Gucci, and if we have time, we'll quickly hit on a few other movies, just very thumbs up, thumbs down review uh, about what we thought about, because there was a lot of great stuff that came out in November, or at least interesting things. And of course, a proper catch-up session wouldn't be complete without longtime guest host, Laurent Chapman, who is returning to us for his first time since the F9 review. Laurent Chapman, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. I'm just so happy you keep asking me to come back. Oh, Laurent, always. I, in fact, I, I use this as an excuse for you and I just to catch up on, on movies and life. And uh, you've been a busy guy over the last few months, yeah? Incredibly busy, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, we're living in a, um, a renaissance in um, Oklahoma film. The industry is booming with productions, and I have been hopping on as many as I can before the year's up. Incredible. So, of course, you are known for being the the writer, director, and, and producer of You People. But, of course, you're speaking about some of the other projects you've been working on in various capacity. What are a few of the, the highlights for us? Um, I'd say some of the highlights, the biggest one for me, um, we just wrapped up one um, just um, a week or so ago. Um, and it's it's this one's a Hallmark movie, so it's not one that I'm, you know, obviously happy to work on it, happy to work with the crew and everything. It was just a good vibe, you know, and just like a Hallmark movie, as you would imagine, would be um, the writing. Everything is kind of tailored to be super genial. And I think that that energy just kind of, you know, at least from a professional working standpoint, was a lot of fun to work on. But I think as far as something that I'm most proud of that I got to work on this year um, it was an HBO, it'll be an HBO Max film um, titled um, The Land of Gold. Um, and it um, follows an immigrant Indian family um, that's kind of a cross-country film, road film. They happen upon a, a smuggled nine-year-old Hispanic girl that's kind of, you know, was taking refuge on one of their um, cargo trucks. And they don't know what to do with her because she's crossed the border um, on her own volition, you know, kind of escaping a, a really harsh, you know, lifestyle. And it kind of turns into this unorthodox family film dynamic where they take her under their wing and kind of fall in love with the little girl. And they kind of have these cultural clashes that are really comedic between, you know, Indian Americans and Hispanic Americans. And so, um, that should be coming out on HBO Max sometime next year. Um, and it's just a really sweet, you know, kind of, culturally diverse story, not very told, not seldom told, you know, kind of vibe. And so I was really happy to work on that one. Very, very good. I'm very excited to, to watch this film. And I want to clarify just for listeners, because it is uh, filmed in Oklahoma. And when you say Indian and Indian American, of course, you're referring to proper Indian American, not uh, indigenous people. Or Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Laurent, I think the thing you and I have in common is uh, between the busy times, we try to watch as many movies as possible. And November has been no exception. But before we get to the new movies that came out in November of 2021, just for listeners who stay, uh, keep up with you or enjoy hearing you on the podcast, what is maybe, would you say, one or two of your favorite movies that you've seen since uh, F9? So movies that came out in uh, July, August, September, October of this year. Uh, I'll highlight two. The first one is The Harder They Fall. That was probably one of my favorite things that Netflix has offered me in a really long time. Um I love the play on the Western genre with these kind of, you know, these modern iterations and about real life people, obviously, and kind of in a fictionalized, you know, account dramatization of the different things that they offered. And just also just to see this amazing cast, you got Regina King, you got um, Idris Elba, you know, Lakeith Stanfield, just a really great, um, you know, um, all, all predominantly all black ensemble. And it's just, it was just a, a blast. You know, I thought it was had some kind of vaguely Tarantino roots to it um, with some of the kind of cartoonish violence and kind of the uh, the dark humor and everything. But I had a blast with that one. That was probably one of my faves. Incredible cast. 
I, I mean, if that cast is enough to sell someone alone, I mean, everything you said there is speaking my language, but I just went before I knew anything about the film, I just looked at, okay, IMDb. Okay. Plot sounds pretty cool. Black cowboys in the old West, because by the way, there were actually a pretty decent percentage of cowboys as we know them that were, um, of African descent there or African American descent. Um, but looking at that, stellar cast, Sells the movie on its own. The, the amount of charisma, I'm sure, was great. So it's good to hear. I have not caught that yet, but I'm very happy to hear uh, that it delivers. And you said you had another one? Another one. Uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Belfast was it's a huge Oscar hopeful this year. Um, I wouldn't put it as high on my list as being one of the, the, the best film I saw this year, but it was definitely one I was very like moved to tears by because of the um, just the sweet nature of the story. It's also kind of an immigrant story in, in that way. Um, and I and it's shot very well, and obviously a great cast: Judy Dench, uh, Jamie Dornan, um, Dorner, and then um, uh, Syrian Hines. Um, just a really great, a really great like British and kind of you know a, a mixed company cast that just they're all just kind of excelling, you know, in their own lanes, and um, and it's one that I think is really wholesome and will appeal to a broad spectrum. It's the one you can take your dad and your grandpa to, and they'll enjoy it as much as you do. You know, so um, that would be another one for sure. All right. Belfast. You know, it's funny. Maybe I should have taken my family to see Belfast over Thanksgiving instead of House of Coochie. But we'll, we'll get we'll get to that. Well, Laurent Chapman, thanks so much for the recommendations. So, again, that is The Heart of They Fall, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Belfast, which is now playing, I believe, exclusively in theaters uh, at the time of the recording of this podcast. Now, listeners, before we do get into our series of reviews, I did want to quickly note that if you enjoyed this conversation I have with Laurent Chapman and you want to keep up with all of our future podcasts or take a look at our back catalog of old reviews, our most recent one uh, being a review of The French Dispatch, please consider supporting the show by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app, especially Apple Podcasts. When you submit that those reviews, it helps us get discovered by more listeners just like you. Now, with that said, let's go ahead and jump into our first of the reviews today, Eternals. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos or any war or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? All right, so we're starting things off this uh, post-Thanksgiving movie discussion uh, with, uh, I don't know, cranberry sauce. It's a little sweet. You kind of maybe sweet potato casserole. It's, it's really sweet. There's a lot going on there. And it could go either way. When you look at it, you're like, this is either going to be amazing sweet potato casserole or maybe they're going to overdo it. Too sweet, not sweet enough. It's really tough. Eternals. According to IMDb, it can be described as the saga of the Eternals, a race of immortal beings who lived on Earth and shaped its history and civilizations. I just realized this is an incomplete thought in the IMDb. IMDb continues to be really inconsistent. So with that said, uh, that is the official synopsis provided by IMDb. And for you listeners who are catching up, I just want to remind you, this film was released on November 5th and is now playing in theaters. And one thing in particular that makes this film notable, other than the fact that it's a Marvel film, so yay, Marvel, we have to see it because the cultural conversation and Disney demand it, uh, is that this film was written and directed by the Oscar winner, Chloe Zhao, who won uh, as Best Director and, I believe, Best Picture uh, at this year's Oscars for Nomadland. And uh, the cast is outstanding. Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, uh, Kamal Nanjiani, uh, Lee McHugh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry. The list goes on and on. Uh, so, Laurent, before we get to you know your specific take here, the thing that I find interesting about the state of the MCU the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I feel like we, you and I at least have been talking about this for a while. It seems like uh, starting to catch on a little more in the yeah. the more mainstream, but th there is a lot of Marvel content out there, and I say content because I'm not just talking about films. Uh, you've got TV shows uh, that are available on Disney Plus almost year-round. I think Hawkeye just debuted after taking a month off, and before that, we had What If, and before that, we had 
uh, Loki. And of course, we are now also in the mode where we can see Marvel in the theater again. So we've already had just this year alone and and really the second half of the year, we had Black Widow and then Shang-Chi and now the Eternals. So there is now more Marvel content than there ever has been before. So I have to ask the question, and you and I have discussed this before, I think both on and off the air, that how much longer can this formula keep going? What are they doing to shake it up? And it seems like Chloe Zhao, on paper, you would say, wow, that's an interesting choice of director. She's never directed anything, to my knowledge, that was a budget of more than $10 million. So do you think Eternal's remedy is this sort of oversaturation of Marvel content? Yes and no. Um I think that the reason I saw this film, well, I would have seen it anyway because I am a purist. I will go to these movies even if I have kind of reached a level of fatigue with the Marvel universe in general. Um, But the reason I was actually excited to see this one was because of Nomadland was my favorite movie of that year. Um, Very rarely does the the movie I actually think was the best picture actually win best picture. Um, So had it two years in a row. Yeah. Also, Parasite won the year before. That's very true, yeah. Um, And I think that I was excited to see what this indie filmmaker whose work I've admired for years, how that was going to translate into this bigger mega, you know, machine, money machine, um, and how she was going, if she was going to fall victim to it, or if she was going to do something that like Ryan Coogler did with Black Panther, which is very much put his own stamp on it. And I think she does do that. Unfortunately, I still feel like there was, it was just such a, there's so much content, so much storyline, so much to cram into this one film that all the other Marvel films had the luxury of of kind of mincing out, you know, film after film with their individual franchises, you know, before they came into the the Avengers universe, um, um, where she had to kind of introduce all of these characters in one film. And I think that the story gets a little bogged down with just kind of that you know, with so much to cover in so little time where it feels simultaneously kind of bloated and then also not quite enough for me in that way. But I think she remedies it in and focusing on different things that I don't normally see um, with a, a, a strong attention to character. You know, she's not as concerned with action sequences and big set pieces like that. Um, very much like wanted us to get to know who these eternal characters were. And I, I appreciated that aspect of it, at least. No, I, I think I would just echo those sentiments. The thing I admire the most about Eternals is that it is very ambitious and it actually, by and large, does not feel like a Marvel movie, at least as we've seen them recently. She is trying to do a lot, and it's a movie that's like two hours and 40 minutes long, and like you said, it somehow feels like there wasn't enough time, and it was also too bloated. Dare I say it reminded me, mm, it's going to sound bad, reminded me of maybe a Pirates of the Caribbean sequel or a Transformers movie where you're like, there is a lot going on here. It's not bad. Actually, the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels. Some of, might, some of them are yeah, bad. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, no, no, the Transformers movies are bad. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. but, but the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels, for example, sure. uh, specifically the second and the third one, I recall being having the same vibe of this is uh, really ambitious. You're swinging for the fences. There's all, but there's a lot going on, and it doesn't feel like all of the plot threads are serviced very well. And also, I, I thought the action sequences in Eternals were not very good. Just, yeah. just to be honest. Yeah, yeah they were yeah. bad. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the the movie opens with a very specific uh, sequence that, uh, you know, again, Chloe Zhao had to, to persuade Kevin Feige to film on a beach, which is great. I love that she finally did it. Unfortunately, the choreography just did not meet the authenticity of the set. So it, it's, it's a mixed bag. Uh, but I will say I walked away feeling more positive than not. Is it a good movie? No. But I think I would take... I would I would take Marvel taking more big swings like that. I take three more of those than one more Black Widow, absolutely, or one more you know Captain America movie. I agree. You, you know because at, at least here she's throwing a lot at the wall and some of it sticks. Really strong family dynamic between the characters. Yeah, I, I love the the dynamic. In fact, yes, uh, there this is a pretty big cast. But I mean, uh, Jim Chan being and Richard Madden being the anchor, I thought they worked tremendously well. And I believed the romance that they were really, it was really driving, you know, 
narrative thread uh, of the film. I loved uh, the dynamic with Brian Tyree Henry, Barry Keegan. Like it was just a, a strong dynamic that I feel like even though we've had several Avengers films, the camaraderie there feels more like uh, friendship. Whereas this, I, I really felt the, the family and blood sure. ties uh, more strongly. And what I really liked, what I, one thing I would highlight about that I really liked was the, um, the representation that's on display too. I mean, you have a very multi-ethnic race group here. You have, um, you also have um, a queer representation, which we I don't think we've really seen in a Marvel film, at least as pro- prominently as this is emphasized. And they do it very matter of factly. It's not it's not kind of kitschy or just thrown in there for you know. It's like this is just who this character is, and I appreciated that where um, where they're making these superhero characters represent a whole different demographic that maybe some of the traditional Marvel characters didn't for other say, you know, ethnic or, or, you know, um, alternative lifestyle people, you know, so that's nice that we, we got to see that. Cause that's, I mean, it, it sounds like a small thing, but it's a big thing to different well, and communities. It, and you know, it, it, it is very authentic, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, because I know that, uh, star Wars, uh, the, 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 the last movie that came, well, sorry, the rise of Skywalker tried to shoehorn some representation there and got a lot of flack, you know, because it just didn't seem authentic, but the, the character like that, uh, that, portion of their identity feels true to who they are throughout the film. Um, and like you said, healthy representation. Uh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I'm yeah. glad you mentioned that because I think it's important too. So uh, here's what I would say. Did it remedy, uh, you know, the Marvel fatigue? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. The yeah. movie wasn't great, but I was... But what they were doing was admirable and I like the direction. Like I, if you, I'm excited for the next one. Yes. Because I actually want to see, maybe they'll, you know, go back to the drawing board and find a way to repurpose some of the things that really worked well in this one. Um, and at least push, they're pushing the narrative. They're making Marvel films look differently than what they were. And I think that's what we wanted from when we say we were fatigued with it, we were f- fatigued with the formula, the thing we've seen over and over again, where the, the stakes, don't feel high enough. We know what's going to happen. You know, the resolutions before we start and here it, I'm definitely on the ride. I just needed some of the individual components to be a little more stronger for that ride to be, you know, um, a full blown success. You know? Absolutely. It should have been, it should have been more focused and about 30 minutes shorter, at least. <laughs> there <you go. laughs> uh, I, I would throw that out there. I, I, the last thing I'd say, just positive, because uh, overall, you know, I, I think we're both kind of in the middle of the road on it. We'll give it a letter grade here in a second. But I think the last thing I would say about Eternals is strong themes. Yeah. Much stronger themes than a lot of other MCU films. I don't want to say, you know, all MCU films, but th- there is a big question posed here about the nature of authority. When is it good to ask questions? When is it good to question authority? When is it um, good to go along with it? Do the ends justify the means? This sort of question, classic themes that really run through the DNA of the movie. Again, I just don't feel like the Marvel Cinematic Universe has, at least recently, really told a, a standalone film like that where you feel like there's ideas that the director's playing with that have a beginning, middle and end um, as effectively as we saw in Eternals. Now that said, let's give this a letter grade for the listeners. Laurent Chapman, what letter grade would you give Eternals? I think I would give this a solid B minus, which I think is a little higher um, than I would have given it when I first watched it. I think it's something that I've appreciated a little bit more post watch um, than I did at the time because I had, such high expectations for it with it being a film that she was making. And then, you know, this idea of it being the most ambitious superhero movie, you know, that, that, that they've offered thus far. And I think it is, but it wasn't necessarily the most enjoyable one. So, um, so yeah, I think a solid B minus is fair with this one. There's definitely a lot to admire in it. Um, but it's definitely, again, a pretty mixed bag in terms of, you know, what lands, throughout consistently in it. So yeah, I, I'm pretty close. I would give it a C plus because the plus it's not just a straight C is the, I admire it so much. I admire what Chloe Zhao set out to do and to varying degrees succeeded and to varying degrees failed. I feel like there's a lot of uh, strong elements that are just pulled down by not so strong elements, which I would normally say is C, but uh, call me biased, but I, I think that, that 
I be, I will be think. You know what? Here's what I'll say. I have been thinking about this movie for almost a month now. Yeah. I can't say that about Black Widow. Or Black Widow came out this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, forgot um, it immediately after seeing it, and and that's not to say that was a complete disaster either. It's just that it just this one definitely resonates more because they're doing more interesting things with it. Yeah. So, so and, and I give it an extra plus for that. I think yeah. that the 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 fact that I have been thinking about it gets it above sort of the the middling level for me. Not great. Good's a strong word, but but there's potential and I admire it. So there we go. So that will conclude our first review today, Eternals. Let's move on to our next film, Tick, Tick, Boom. Hello. Hi. Welcome. I'm Jonathan Larson. I am 29 years old. I work at the Moondance Diner. Check. One sec. Do we take reservations? No, we do not take... We're, we're a diner. I have an original rock musical. Hey, boy genius. That I've spent the last eight years of my life writing. He's getting out. You're going to be rich and famous. And rewriting. Did you crack it yet? Oh, I'm getting so close. And rewriting. Can I hear it? Any day now. Eight years... And the time keeps ticking. Tick, tick. You need to ask, are you letting yourself be led by fear or by love? Fear. A hundred percent fear. All right. So we're moving on here. We could call this maybe like the stuffing that you eat with your turkey, this sort of thing here. It's not as sweet, but you still really look forward to it. It's like it's like a warm hug. It's got to be there to complete the plate, you know, it does. Like like a good musical, you you really can't have a great month of films without a music or a great year in films without at least one strong musical. At least I hope. Uh, so according to the IMDb synopsis, Tick Tick Boom is described as on the cusp of his of his thirtieth birthday, a promising young theater composer navigates love, friendship, and the pressures of life as an artist in New York City. That is a really great way to bury the lead. It's true, but it is not the full picture. Uh, so for li- listeners, for the, those of you who are not familiar or, or you haven't caught up with Tick, Tick, Boom, I just want to remind you the film is was released on November 12th and is now streaming on Netflix. Now, uh, a few couple of notable things about Tick, Tick, Boom. This is the feature film directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda, most famous for Hamilton, of course, but he's really been working very closely with Disney over the last few years. We got him working on Moana uh, and, he, and actually even this month on Encanto. Uh, at least uh, the original songs in those films. But uh, you know, so he's, he's got a lot of uh, theater experience. I imagine directing theater. This is the first film he's done. And uh, the, also the cast here, a uh, really strong lead with Andrew Garfield, who, by the way, had to teach himself how to sing for this movie, which I think is really great, as uh, Jonathan Larson. Uh, we also have Alexander Shipp um, and Joshua Henry. Uh, but Laurent, before we, we dump, uh, jump right into our impressions here, I just, out of curiosity, were you familiar with the true story behind Tick, Tick, Boom? Uh, vaguely. Um, I've, I've been a fan of Jonathan Larson for a long time. Rent in particular was one of the big things I held onto as a youth trying to understand my own identity. And it was the thing that kind of, even if I wasn't expressly living the same lifestyle as all the characters, I there was again, another one of those things about representation. It was like, but these people, I, I, I understand the emotions, you know? So, um, I, I was very, um, much a fan of his work and knew a lot about, you know, kind of some of the backstory of, of his lifestyle, but not to the extent that this movie goes into. So, so it was kind of a refreshing surprise and some f- familiar things and then some new things for sure. So I was, familiar with rent of course i knew the end sure uh, the tragedy uh that he he wasn't alive to see rent uh make its debut right which is insane because if he could see the places that that musical went you know like oh it's crazy it's bittersweet i guess it's toward, sort of a spoiler but uh sure, it's sure. also at this point hopefully they would have known that but if not then you know uh, yeah, if you are familiar at all with Jonathan Larson. So this is a, essentially uh, the, the story of Jonathan Larson trying to make it as a, a creative uh, in theater. So Laurent Chapman, I actually have a lot of thoughts on this film, but I want to get your take first. What did you think of Tick, Tick, Boom? 
I was surprised how moved I was by it. I expected to like it because I, I do love musical theater in particular, you know, Rent being one of the highlights of those for me, one of my favorites um, that I've seen multiple times, you know, on Broadway. Um, I thought that this was a very interesting and unique take on the biopic um, and also a really beautiful kind of dissection of the creative process that artists go through when putting things out there, the rejection, just the painstaking thing of trying to put, you know, words on a page, you know, I can relate to that as a screenwriter. Um, so there was all these things I related to um, with Jonathan Larson, the artist and the man, you know, um, really kind of beyond his work, just, just, you know, what it took for him to get to where he was and how much, how much, you know, sacrifice it requires personally, professionally and mentally, you know, to put something out there that you really believe in that you're pushing for. Um, I think it really just encapsulates that experience very, very well. So I was, I was a big fan of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that really stuck out to me is, you know, you know, as a person who, and you and I have this in common, pursuing careers or in creative fields of some sort, right? There's always this push and pull over how much do I do for the money and how much do I do for me? Knowing that the thing that you're doing for you is going to be a much harder battle. You know, it's going to be uphill. You're going to have to work a lot harder. And I thought this movie really did an incredible job just showing the tension uh, that you feel that you would feel in that process. Uh, and also just highlighting the challenges of being a creative person who is sort of the starving artist type who sticks to their guns and makes things, you, you know, it's not that he can't make a break. It's that it takes a crazy amount of work for a really long time to have a chance at, at, at you know, doing the thing that you want to do. And I think that, with the sort of backdrop of, of what we saw with his personal story, hate him having friends on both sides of it where, you know, he had one friend who went to a sold out, uh, sold out. See, I did the thing sold out. It's not the right word. His friend, uh, chose to pursue a corporate job, um, so that he could have health care, so that he could pay for, you know, fund his lifestyle that he wanted. And, uh, simultaneously, and he's still living in this, like really, uh, Jonathan Larson, they're just still living in this really crummy apartment trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Uh, so I, I don't know. I found all of that to be really compelling, just inherently thematically from storytelling. You match that with like the pert level of personalization that I just feel through, throughout, um, the songs just really moving. I, uh, I watched this with my girlfriend. We both cried at least twice. And just all around powerful story. And I know I sort of tipped the hand and maybe spoiled it a little bit, but this is, you also learn that, you know, the tragedy, the tragedy that, you know, of pursuing that creative lifestyle being a, a creative who doesn't ever get to see their thing come to fruition, come to fruition, and but it's, but yet, but yet his work and endures, and endures, and, right? endures and it's there. So it's like all that effort wasn't for naught. Unfortunately, he didn't get to see it, but we get to at least experience it and celebrate it. And, and so that's, that was really good. I also like that it took so a very, I mean, because the backdrop of this is also very grave. This could have been a very maudlin kind of like dour, like in the dumps kind of film. Because really, I mean, what he's dealing with personally is very, you know, um, is very dark in terms of, you know, I mean, I don't, this is kind of a spoiler, but just kind of just the backdrop of the AIDS epidemic being kind of prevalent, particularly for the LGBT community. Um it's one of those things that kind of got skirted and just was all but over, you know, didn't, wasn't given the the amount of empathy or attention or resources at the time. So more people died during that period than needed to. Um, and it, it touches on that in a really poignant way with just one character. And I thought that that was, um, you know, a really powerful way to kind of have it access into the story without it actually just being about that. Um, and it, so it, it kind of juggles again all this dark subject matter with with a hopefulness and you know and it's still inspiring while still being poignant and i really i really enjoyed that aspect of it too felt like jonathan larson yeah you know yeah, like I mean, it's hard living a really hard lifestyle but always remaining optimistic and persistent you know i, I really felt like that runs through the core of this film uh, and again, Lin-Manuel Miranda d does the directing, the, the the songs, the execution, the set pieces are all there. Uh, just a, a terrific film. I think you'd be remiss if you did not get through your 
2021 uh, film watching list without Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, so with that said, Laron, what letter grade would you give Tick, Tick, Boom? I'd give this a solid A. Um, I think for theater, particularly for theater goers, and if, I mean, it is like the, you know, it's the cameos are insane. Just one, one see, I mean, if I just remember, like I watched it with my partner, Craig, and every time someone popped up, that's, that's so-and-so. And that's, and that's it's just like, it's, it's for those people, you know, I think people will, uh, it'll appeal to people broadly, but I think that particularly for that group of people, this is like a love letter to theater, a love letter to, again, the creative process. Um, and then obviously a love letter to Jonathan, the late Jonathan Larson. So um, there's a lot to take away from it. Absolutely. This is a must watch uh, for your theater goers. I had matched that with an A as well. It's a must see. Stream it on Netflix. You basically have no excuse. It's a great movie. It's a great way to spend a couple hours of your time. So that is going to conclude our review of Tick, Tick, Boom. We are now going to move on to our review of Spencer. Is she here yet? Not yet, ma'am, no. Then she's late. Yes, she is late. Mummy, <laughs> family are all gathered in the drawing room. They are waiting. Three days. That's it. We've arrived. We have had the appetizers, the sweets, and we've had the stuffing. But you got to go with the turkey. You got to have meat on the bone, <laughs> yeah. right? And what is meatier than a character drama that is really, uh, I would say. Uh, a, a piece that is is designed to really highlight uh, Kristen Stewart's abilities, which, by the way, she's underrated, uh, with Spencer. Now, according to the IMDb synopsis, Spencer can be described as during her Christmas holidays with the royal family at the Sandringham Estate in Norfolk, England, Diana Spencer, struggling with mental health problems, decides to end her decade-long marriage to Prince Charles. And a quick reminder for listeners out there, the film was released on November 5th and is currently now playing in theaters, I believe, exclusively for the time being. And also of note, uh, Spencer is directed by Pablo Lorraine. Uh, Spencer is directed by Pablo Lorraine, who most famously directed 2016's Jackie's, which started um, Natalie Portman. This movie has a lot in common with that film. So, Laurent, of course... Pablo Lorraine has a really unique style that we're going to get into. The thing I want to kick this conversation open with is uh, just talking about how the royal family in the last, I don't know, five years. I mean, it's always been a thing, right? Sure. People have always been obsessed, the tabloids, what's going on with the royal family. But within our pop culture, I just feel like there has been so much stuff, TV shows, Oprah interview specials. Yeah behind the scenes drama. Maybe it's always been this way and I wasn't paying attention, but sure, it certainly yeah. seems like in the last 10 years that it's uh, kind of come, uh, come to the surface that, wow, maybe the Royal family, not so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I th- I'm thinking of course of like the, the crown, even if you go way back, you know, uh, the 2019's the King um, again was highlighting uh, the royalty. So how would you say compare Spencer to other depictions of the Royal family that we've seen in pop culture recently? Well, I think the the depictions of this family from other sources like The Crown or maybe previous films have always tried to get more of the kind of the factual aspect of, of you know, this event, this event, this event happened. And what I think Spencer does very um, smartly is kind of avoid all of the, you know, the kind of minutia about all of these details that may or may not be of interest to many people as, as a lot of these other things have kind of pointed out, but it focuses on Diana, the woman and the person, the human being. And I found that to make for a more rich textured drama than some of the other things have, because it's not about all of the individual events that happened around her. It's about her mental state. It's about um, the kind of inner torment that she had um, and I just felt like that just made for a much more interesting f- film, um, 
where we're not focusing on what happened. We're focusing on how it affected her, you know, and it obviously it's just encapsulating um, three days, but there's just a lot that's kind of compacted into those little moments where we get to see um, through Kristen Stewart's, you know, really, really magnificent performance, I think, um, you know, just who this woman was as a as a person. And I found that more accessible and relatable than some of the other iterations, because that I can relate to. I can relate to her humanity more than I can relate to the kind of goings on around her in that space. So, yeah, I think that's a really great way to describe it. You know, the uh, the old story about how George Washington cannot tell a lie, you know, get down the tree. That's not a true story. But yet we remember George Washington. That's one of the handful of stories we remember about George Washington. It's probably the first ones you learn in elementary school. I feel like this is a, a different way. This is a similar approach with Princess Diana. The things we see in here likely didn't happen at all, or maybe, you know, things happen that were similar to it, but this is not a historical, you know, account. And they even make that pretty clear. The very the, be- I think they call it a, a fable, a fable at the very beginning mm-hmm. of, you know, based on true events. And I find that to be a much more compelling take on the character. And I also find it as a way to mythologize princess Diana in a way, a step further, because what does she represent to our culture now? And this movie is honing in on that. Um, the mental unwellness. The what were we what is it that people are drawn to about this woman? Mm-hmm. Why are we so fascinated with who she was? And I think it's because there was something about her, she was the outlier of this into this empire, this entity, this monarch, you know, and it's like so but she was the people's princess. She was the people, the one that was personable, the one that people felt like she, maybe she didn't belong in this space. She felt trapped by it. And I think it just gets all of that really done really well, you know, in a very nuanced way. Um, and I've had someone describe it as a a psychodrama or a psychological thriller about 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 this woman. And I, and I get that because it does have this eerie, atmospheric vibe to it as well that I found really fascinating, a fascinating way to approach this kind of story. Lauren, I can't uh, think of too many dinners that I've been more uh, traumatized by recently than, than dinner and Spencer. I mean, you know, she, she, the way she plays with the pearl necklace, just I'll just put it that way. It, it left me very unsettled. And also the way that, she is really inside her head. This, the sort of burden that she carries around as a person who didn't know, maybe it's again, the movie, like, like did she want it? There's like this huge history she's carrying on her shoulder. She's haunted by this history throughout the film. Again, terrific yeah, psychodrama. That's a great way to put it. And a great performance piece for Christian Stewart, who frankly, I think is uh, been an underrated talent for quite some time, but gets the bad rap from Twilight movies. I love to see her breaking out here. I love to see the, the Oscar buzz around a best uh, actress performance uh, because uh, I think she's exceptional. Uh, outside of her performance, a few things I want to note here that was just really impressive to me. Uh, of course, the the cinematography and the set design, it looks like it's in the 90s. Like, like it's got that soft focus, the sets, all the wigs it, it it feels when you watch it it's a time capsule for sure it's it's like they took a a vhs i mean yeah. i just have the vhs it lines, has this but, filter over it yes. that's just this and that's that's great cinematography like great production value costuming's great mm-hmm. um, but yeah um but yeah, i think that that's the other really i would say strongest piece of it it's just the way you you feel like you're there you it's a mood like piece for mm-hmm. sure um, and it, 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 and it's, it's definitely a pretty somber, quiet, slow burn film, but I was never bored by it. You know, I was always in, I was always engrossed because I think, you know, Kristen Stewart anchors the film very well. Like I'm always there with her and I felt like I've been a fan of her indie work for a long time. I can't tell you how happy I am, I am to hear that she's getting Oscar buzz because I've been telling people that this girl can act. If you don't look at Twilight and Snow White and the Huntsman and you look at her, her really great indie work. You can see that there's this, the trajectory of her work has led to this moment. And I personal think, shopper crawled yes. so that Spencer could run. <laughs> there you go. There you go. 
Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that uh, that sums it up pretty well for me as well. It, so for those of you who do keep up with the awards season type buzz, check it out. This yeah. is a must see for you. Absolutely. Uh, if you have uh, even a passing interest in the royal family, check it out. Yeah, this is for you. With a caveat of it's not historical. It's not historical. Yeah. Um, just a couple of things I want to note about it for sure is like this: the score is amazing too. Uh, Johnny Greenwood's score. I mean, he's going to be competing against himself this year at the Oscars with Power of the Dog. Yeah. But I, I've listened to both. I prefer this one. It's interesting. It's definitely very eclectic and not something that you would think would work with it. I think it does work with the film. Um, just to add this other added layer of peculiar, you know, peculiar this peculiar eerie vibe. Um, well, it's again, it's all about the mood. Like you said, yeah. it's a mood piece and the, the score is an essential, the score or lack of is an essential element right. to making that succeed. I also really like the symbolic relationship. They kind of kept, uh, referencing with her and Anne Boleyn, mm-hmm. which is one of those things. I don't know if she ever read that book. It doesn't really matter from a, them- from a thematic standpoint, it really works to, that. She sees herself as this woman that's been, you know, betrayed in some way or is unseen or is unheard or is mourning something. Right, and that's she's like haunted by that. There's there's the the, the past, uh, yeah. you know, sense of the royal family just chasing her around. Um, yeah. And, and again, the way the movie ends, without spoiling it, sure. certainly leaves a lot to contemplate as well. Yeah. I like that it gives her, and without, without also saying what happens, um, it gives her as much of a happy ending that we could hope for given what we know actually happens after this film, after, you know, the events that happened after this film with her. Um, and I also would like to point out that Sally Hawkins and Timothy Spall, very small scenes that they have. It's not, they're not big supporting characters, but all of their scenes are incredibly strong with her. And so uh, for me, it was a, a, like you said, with the turkey, it's just, it's the meat and potatoes of this, you know, of this, you know, display of, of, Thanksgiving feast. Absolutely. Check it out. It's Spencer now playing in theaters. Oh, and uh, last thing I'll say before we give an actual letter grade here is uh, it's a great companion piece to Jackie. So if you have, if you see this and haven't seen Jackie, go out and watch Jackie. If you've seen Jackie and you like Jackie, watch Spencer. I think they really pair well, very similar yet different. The stories they're telling are different, but the style, the mood, similar approach. I think a lot of people will find Diana more accessible than Jackie was. I was a fan, a huge fan of it. I know some people weren't huge fans of it because of how odd it was. I think this one is a little more inviting than that one, but I definitely agree that paired together, they, they complement each other very well. All right. So with that said, Laron, we'll just uh, wrap up our review of Spencer here just by giving that quick letter grade. What, what letter grade would you give Spencer? Clearly, we both liked the film. I So far, I mean, I have, still have several to see, but this is my favorite movie so far this year. So this gets my highest review, A+. Plus, so. A+. Plus. Excellent. Well, I'm going to go with an A because I also think it's a great film. It's one that I watched by myself. Can't re-watch, uh, wait to rewatch with my... Uh, loved ones who are very passionate about the royal family, much more passionate than I am. But now I have a I have like a conversation piece, so it gets it gets the A. I'm uh, check it out, folks. Uh, now let's go ahead and move on to our final main review today, which is the House of Gucci. It was a name that sounded so sweet, so seductive, synonymous with words. Style. Power. But that name was a curse, too. I've been a Gucci all my life. Your name is in the history books. Power. You are Gucci. You need to dress the pie. All right, so this is really the pumpkin pie phase. Because, you know, it's a it's a character drama. It's got a lot of high-profile actors. You look forward to it. You're, you're, you see it coming at the end of the month, and you're like, "This is going to be a good one to watch. It's going to be fun." Um, I would, I would, I would. Before we go into it, I would say this is the the casserole that somebody invited. I mean, brought brought to the the dinner table that no one asked for, but everyone <laughs> samples it because there's a lot going on in there. But we'll we'll okay. We'll elaborate more. So 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 is it a casserole or is it a pie? It might <laughs> depend on. What kind of person you are. With that said, though, let's uh, check out the, the IMDb synopsis. Uh, it, IMDb describes House of Gucci as uh, when Patricia uh, 
Reggiani, an outsider from humble beginnings, marries into the Gucci family. Her unbridled ambition begins to unravel their legacy and triggers a reckless spiral of betrayal, decadence, revenge, and ultimately... Oh, this is a spoiler. What the heck? Murder. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right. Uh, and uh, listeners, this film was released on November 24th and is now playing exclusively in theaters. The film is from Ridley Scott, who I personally find to be a pretty compelling director, even when he's not making good movies. They're always he's never, he's always making interesting movies. They're not always good. They're always, I would say, late. Ridley Scott, to, at least from my perspective, is interesting. Sometimes I love the interesting. Uh, Alien Covenant, I'll defend that movie in my grave. Love it. It's weird. Uh, sometimes it's not so great. Uh, maybe Gods of Egypt, for example. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Listeners can't see, but I, LeBron was... Uh, I've his, forgotten all about that. Uh, yeah, that's probably for the best. I can't believe <laughs> I brought that up there. Uh, but this film is historical. So I went into this movie thinking... Okay, we saw all the money in the world a few years ago. I love that. I, I, I well, love a strong word. I really enjoyed that film. I was thinking, okay, that but more camp, more camp featuring stars such as Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Jeremy Irons, Al Pacino, Sam Hayek. How could we go wrong? How could we go wrong? And to top it off, Ridley Scott had another movie that just came out like a month ago called The Last Duel that I thought was fantastic. I one day we'll talk about it more in depth on a podcast, I hope, because I think that's a film everyone should see, because I think it's probably one of my favorite films of the year. So I'm thinking, okay, House of Gucci can only go up. Laurent Chapman. Yes. How would you firstly <laughs> what was going into this film? Yes, that's a good way to what, place what, to start. What, what was your where was your head at? I had a, my expectations, I think, couldn't have been higher for this movie, more than probably some, because, I mean, one, just, I, yes, I'm a huge fan of Ridley Scott. There's a lot of, lot of factors here. Huge fan of Lady Gaga. Really, really um, thrilled to see how she's evolving as a screen actor, um, kind of evolving into like a modern day Cher or Barbra Streisand. Um, and just her, them chewing on this kind of material, um, I mean, it looked like the kind of like, like kind of balls to the wall, like over the top, glossy, high camp romp that, you know, that I just needed for Thanksgiving, you know, and I just left it feeling like it was a huge missed opportunity because where there are elements of camp in it, I felt like they're competing with this kind of not in terribly interesting um prestige drama and then um and then this kind of murder thriller that i thought um you know that it was going to focus a lot more on than it actually does in the film um and it felt like those different like three different movies are competing for attention here um and as a result you know i wasn't satisfied with any of those elements fully because of that but um, so yeah, I, this is a, a huge mixed bag for me. I wouldn't say it is a bad film or a train wreck by any means. I just think that there's a lot of movie here and, and I felt like all the moments that were supposed to be moments in it were, were kind of, um, deflated by all this dead air in between them. So, um, it's very hit and miss for me. So I came out warmer on it than you are, but I fully will admit this is a very mixed bag. For one, there, are, like you said, there are three different types of movies: Lady Gaga, Salma Hayek, they're in a movie; Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, they're in a movie. Yeah, and then <laughs> Jared Leto is in, in his own his own movie. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So these elements clash. There's no bones about it. Yeah, I think the thing I, I sort of set myself up. I was thinking this is going to be wild. You know, I'd seen some of the early reviews come out. I try to avoid jumping too far in, but I was like, whenever, you know, David Sims tweets out that Jared Leto's performance feels like he was playing both Wario and Waluigi from the Super <laughs> Mario Brothers franchise and, and one character, I was like, okay. So he's going to be silly, nonsensical. And I would argue it's not a good performance. But you know what? By golly, I, it's interesting and I laughed. The... The fact that he and Al Pacino in particular have so many scenes together in which they are clearly doing different things, 
I couldn't help but laugh the whole time. Yeah. It, 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 something about the, the, the clash really made me more engaged in a way. I was like, these things don't go together, but I kind of want to sit back and watch them. Let the lightning, so to speak, strike and, and see what, ha- what comes out of it. Cause, cause it is, it is mixed. It's also about uh, 30 minutes too long. It's another one that's almost two hours and 40 minutes. And I, I thought it was pretty solid. I would recommend it to people who like character. If they like any of these actors or they like character dramas, I did find it lots of fun. Uh, I found Ridley Scott still makes a very impressive looking film. Man, his movies always look so good. And even this one, it doesn't matter if he's making a big sci-fi, a historical drama or a, a more modern character drama. His set design, his cinematography, the score, always really, really strong. I think all those elements are present here as well. So it really, I would, I'm saying all this to say, this movie is really going to come down to, am I looking for a great movie or am I looking for a fun movie? (laughs) So, and uh, what is fun is different for everybody. So in this case, I had fun. It's a three, three and a half star, you know, movie. Not great, not terrible. Yeah. It's a clash. I still think Adam. I still think the individual pieces though are great. I still think Adam Driver's exceptional. I think Pacino's great. I think uh, Irons is pretty good for, with what screen time he's given. Lady Gaga, I still think could, yeah, could get an acting now. I think she could run movie. away with it. You know, I think that. I think anytime she was there, that's the thing is, I felt like anytime she was on screen. Um, while her accent, you know what I mean, is a little, you know, it's not precise. Um, she's definitely trying to play a real person. And that's what I got from that. And then I, I look at Jared Leto and I'm just like, I think he's playing a caricature of a person or a caricature of Italian accents and, and stereotypes, all a conglomerate of that. And it, again, it makes for an interesting performance, but it definitely feels like it's from a different planet or a different film at least. Um, and like you said, like Pacino and Irons, all of them, they know what they're doing, but they're all do. Like I said, it's almost like nobody got the same direction. <laughs> you know, like it's almost like they were all given a different cue and all of them, they're clashing. And sometimes it's interesting and sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes you're like, what am I watching? Absolutely. The movie you mentioned with Lady Gaga and um, Salma Hayek, that's the movie I thought I was going to see. You know, and that's the movie I wanted to see more of. And unfortunately, there's just little glimmers of that. Similarly to the the murder aspect of it, which is really, oh, I think it, the whole very the, inconsequential because it it, it it happens at the the very end of the movie, and it, it's and it there's no momentum built around it. It just kind of happens, you know. And it's not very, and you would think that would be the thread, the tension throughout the entire story is that this is going to culminate in this you know this horrific murder, and it's just like because we that's the part of the story that we know without going into the movie, um, and it just kind of feels like an afterthought. And I really wish that there was more. Um, dramatic tension leading up to those moments. Because I really think like if everybody, I would actually buy into Jarrett Leto's performance a lot more if everybody was performing the same way. You know what I mean? Like if everybody was in on the joke, it's in on this, like, let's just go for, high, you know what I mean? High camp. I felt like that would have added some levity to some Ron, of the- Ron, I've got some great news for you. The <laughs> Super Mario Brothers movie is coming out next year. <laughs> He is well. He got. He has a running reel for an audition for that. May, so. may, it's not too late. They can. They can uh, take Chris Pratt yeah. out of the lead role. You know. Yeah. But it is the kind of ballsy choice that he chose that will un, undeniably probably garner him an, an Oscar nomination. Do you think for, so? For better, for better or worse, I still think he, he it, the converse. It's very Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Like where Ooh, boy, where it's like not a great movie, but. Okay, so this is wild because I again I enjoyed what he was doing, but it's not like I would not call it great acting. Like I would never even so 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 you think I mean, wow, this would be this is gonna be a really interesting Oscar season if he I if he so. shows up. I think he'll be there. You know, this is a maybe a larger podcast about Jared Leto because <laughs> here's the thing. I actually liked him more when he was playing more I don't know normal uh, people. Normal people. Lord of War, he's got a great supporting role in that movie. Even Dallas Bar Club, the one they won the Oscar for. I was like, I could buy that. It's definitely a character, but it was not, it was a real person. Right. You but, know, but Joker, it was grounded in reality, you this, know. You know, and what he's doing here, just, I are too, so like, so it's like I learned to appreciate it, but that doesn't make it like a, yeah. a great performance. Yeah. Wow. It's going to be so, an interesting Oscar an season. An interesting Oscar season for sure. Mm-hmm. 
So with that said, much more mixed bag. What letter grade would you give House of Gucci overall? I'm going to give this, I'll give this a C plus um, because I, there's things to pick a, pick apart from it. And I have a lot of, a lot of issues with it, um, individual elements, but it's not unwatchable. And it is one of those ballsy, weird, like you got to see it to really, I mean, there, you're going to have a conversation after you watch it, whether you like it or not. So um, I'd say a mixed bag. I wasn't a very warm on it, but it, there's, there's something to take away from it. So a solid C plus. I'm going to go with a C, which is funny because I feel like I enjoyed it more than you, but I feel like it's a pretty middle of the road movie. The things that work work exceptionally well, like so much so that I want to give it like an A minus or B plus. But then the things that are bad, the runtime, the inconsistencies really pull it down. So I really think it's kind of a middle of the road movie. You know, you, you show up for the things you like and you just put up with the things you don't like. Yeah. Uh, or you like don't family. See, like, a, like at Thanksgiving. Like at Thanksgiving. Man. By the way, I took my family to see us at Thanksgiving. And let me tell you, the conversations afterwards were glorious. <laughs> uh, so, uh, oh, hey, uh, last thing I'll say on this is, and I know I've mentioned the, the last duel. We're not here reviewing that movie because it did not come out in the month of November. But if you see one Ridley Scott movie please go see that movie in in the last duel was also now available VOD. Seriously. I'm going to buy this thing on 4k Blu-ray because that's how much I like it. And I'm not going to lie. It tanked hard at the box office, but it deserves your money. And I would argue the performances in that were much stronger and more consistent, way better. Adam driver performance. I think it's really Scott's. That's the thing is I think it's really Scott's best film in in years, yep. you know, and so that's interesting. That's also why I had high hopes for Gucci thinking like he's going to go two for two this year, like two strong contenders and maybe they will be strong awards contenders. But as far as enjoyment, I absolutely think the last duel is one of the best films he's made in, in a long time. And house of Gucci is kind of somewhere in that middle range. Yeah. Middle lower. Yeah. Oh, uh, and uh small correction. I, I said that he directed gods of Egypt. My apologies. Uh, that was a different movie about Egyptian culture that came out the same year. He directed Exodus Gods and Kings. Oh, correction. Even, even for worse. Even worse. <laughs> <laughs> for the record, for the record, for listeners who were like, he didn't direct that yeah. silly movie with uh, Gerard Butler. Okay. All right. Well, LeBron, we're going to wrap things up here really quickly. I think we've got maybe five minutes the most. So we're going to close this out with a little just desserts or seconds, if you want to look at it that way. Uh, so there are a bunch of movies we didn't have time to get into, and some of them even came out this past weekend. Uh, Encanto, which is only in theaters, Resident Evil, Escape from Raccoon City, King Richard, uh, Finch, Passing, Ghostbusters Afterlife, 8-Bit Christmas. There's actually a few more that I don't have listed here. I, I have not seen several of these, but I'll give a quick thumbs up, thumbs down, or thumbs sideways. Is there any other films you want to call out here, or any other movies that you want to reference that you saw in the month of November that were noteworthy for the listeners? I think this is a good list to go from. Um, I've seen three of these. So, which three? I have seen um, King Richard. I've seen Passing, and I've seen uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. All right. So, give me give me the the breakdown. King Richard, yay, nay? Is it Will? Is Will Smith That's a big yay for me? I think he's got. I think he's got a lock for the Oscar this year. I think, and I and this, I'm not a huge fan of the inspirational sports drama movie, but this it's it subverts that drama um, because it it's really about character and family and all and this other dynamic. And I just think that it's his best performance, you know, in years. So, and I, he's charming. He's going to go for all the campaigning. He'll he will win that Oscar this year. I can I can mark that today. All right, Make, making bets, listeners. So, if you want to make a bet against against Laurent, now's the time. Uh, that's great to hear. So, King Richard now playing on HBO Max and in theaters. Uh, all right. So, the next one you said you saw was uh, Passing. 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 Saw that on Netflix. Uh, thought it was a really um, well calibrated story that's not often told um people of color um at a time when it was not safe to be that in public um passing as caucasians because they are of fair skinned or of mixed blood um i found that to just be this really fascinating and you know introspective and insightful look into a really harsh time in our history um and just really great performances from tessa thompson and ruth nega um who are both um, passing as white women in the film. Um, it's just a very interesting insight into a subculture that so many people may not have been aware of. Um, and so I think it's definitely worth a watch just for 
um, enjoyment and also for, you know, historical significance. So. All right. Check that out. Passing now on Netflix. And then, of course, oh, the Internet is uh, the listeners are so mad. I, I swore I was going to catch Ghostbusters Afterlife sometime, but I just hate to say it. It didn't. I didn't make it in time yeah. for this yeah. podcast. I will, though. Uh, I am genuinely curious yes. about what you thought of Ghostbusters Afterlife, though. I uh, I walked into this thinking had zero interest whatsoever. I thought it looked like a cash grab. Um, I didn't even anticipate on seeing it, saw it with a friend, um, and walked away really delighted by it. Um, I am a huge fan of the original Ghostbusters. I think that this is a great this is what I want from a reboot, from a remake, from a, from, or for a sequel, I guess. Um, in a, in this modern age where normally that kind of thing, you suck the air out of it. This is one that like, it brings in all that nostalgia that you liked about the old one and modernizes it in a way where a new generation can appreciate this franchise and understand why we liked it, you know, when the original came out. So lots of little nods, lots, lots of cameos. So big fans of, the original will eat this up much way that Tick, Tick, Boom is with all the cameos. Um, and also uh, people who aren't fans of the franchise or haven't seen it or aren't familiar with it, I think can enjoy it as a standalone film as well. I look forward to catching that soon. I have Encanto. I was really excited about this film. I'll be honest. I didn't know much about it. You want to know what sold me on it? Lin-Manuel Miranda was doing the songs. And I'm not going to lie. I love me some Moana. I thought it was a great little film. Was shocked by how much I enjoyed that soundtrack in that film. So I was like, okay, I'm done. I don't even think I'd seen a full trailer for Encanto. I think I'd just seen some of the short like commercials. And, and I went to the theater and saw it. And it was just all right. It was um, delightful music. Stunning and I mean, just beyond stunning animation. Uh, and this comes from Disney Animation, not Pixar. And overall, I, I was pretty middle of the road. The the story, I feel like, lacks proper momentum. So it's like they, they had a premise, and they never quite cracked the story. Because by the time I felt like it was starting to really take off, it, it was over. Because it's very short. Uh, overall, though, uh, if you're in it for the music or the visual experience, I think kids are going to love it. Also a very, very diverse cast in a very organic way. Just, yeah, sweet little film. I, rec I hope people check it out. But I was probably, in terms of other Disney animation films, probably on the lower end of the spectrum for me of ones I've enjoyed in the last 10 years, say. So quick question. Luca, which was kind of the front runner for best animated film this year in terms of like based on what's what it's offered this year. Do you prefer Luca to this or which, which would you say is better? Uh, so... I think I prefer Luca, but okay. it's pretty close because I didn't love Luca either. either. Okay. I, I loved a lot about it. I l actually enjoyed the much smaller scale sort of like slice of life coming of age story. We don't get those from Pixar in the, this way. Usually, usually it's much larger than life. It felt uh, most like a Ghibli film to me in a lot of ways. And I love Ghibli. So it has that going for it. So I think that's what edges it out. But Encanto, I would say overall, though, they're, they're pretty close. So if I was going to pick a winner, this is probably what you're asking. Yes. Uh, I think Pixar brand still wins. Yeah. I could be Fair wrong. Enough. Fair enough. I could be wrong. And it's going to depend on which lever Disney decides to pull this year. Right, right. There's obviously the music, too. I don't think Luca had as many songs, if any songs at all. I don't think any songs, no. So then, yeah. I mean, I feel like Encanto probably has that uh, edge then with Lindy Manuel, obviously, with several films this year. Yes. Uh, Encanto definitely... I would say is probably more marketable to the awards, but I would also, yeah, I mean, it's a toss up. It's tough because the Pixar brand itself, I mean, just usually, you know, wins yeah. always. Yeah. Oh, and the other one, this one's a guilty pleasure movie. You know, I always struggle when people ask you, what's your guilty pleasure? I always, on, on the spot, I'm always like, ah, sure. Fast and furious, but I can justify the fast and the furious sure. movies. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I'm not saying you and I, we've yeah. talked at length about this several times on the podcast. Uh, go check out our F nine review listeners. The movies I can't defend, but I keep going to watch and don't care uh, are the resident evil movies. Now this new one, uh, escape from raccoon city is a reboot. No Mila Jovovich, no Paul W.S. Anderson. I'm a huge fan of the games. It is much, 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 much closer to the games. Uh, the first two games. And that's for better and for worse, because I actually thought the first Resident Evil by starring Mila Jovovich way back in the day, I actually thought was a pretty solid B movie uh, that actually strayed quite a bit from the source material 
So it could sort of be its own thing, but also adds tons of nods. Whereas this one is very loyal and a video game movie adaptation. It's it's they still haven't quite cracked that yet. There's a lot of attempts. We got some more coming with the Uncharted movie. I don't think Resident Evil Escape from Raccoon City cracks that. But I will say, as a person who watches the Resident Evil movies, all of them, most of them in theaters, even though this is a fresh take and I love the games, I still had a good time. I don't know what I'd rec- I, I'd recommend it to Resident Evil fans. That's probably that's about it. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. It's very bad. Well, that is all we have time for today, listeners. Just again, thanks so much for tuning in. And we have so many great things coming in the month of December. We'll have more traditional deep dive episodes over some of these films, but just uh, to name a few movies that are coming out in the next month. We got The Power of the Dog. We got The Hand of God. We've got Being the Ricardos. We got West Side Story. We got Don't Look Up. We got Red Rocket. We got Licorice Pizza. Spider Man No Way home nightmare alley the king's man and the one i am most excited about the matrix resurrections so december is stacked we're not going to have individual episodes over all those movies but we will be hitting on a few of those throughout the month of december uh so we hope that you'll subscribe and make sure to tune in when those new episodes go live now leron chapman it has been so much fun catching up with you today thanks for joining us absolutely thanks for having me where can our listeners keep up with you and your work online if they want to get more of your movie takes? They can follow me on Letterbox at Cinna underscore man. They can follow me on um, at Facebook at my name, Leron Chapman. Or they can follow me on my Instagram handle at Black Movie Magic at OKC. And of course, listeners, you can keep up with all of our work here at the Cinematropolis uh, on Twitter or Facebook. On Twitter, it's at the Cinematrop, or on Facebook, we're at facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis. And you can find me tweeting about uh, film, television, video games uh, on Twitter at C Masters Talk. That is letter C Masters Talk. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone, for this post Thanksgiving movie special. We'll catch you again next time.